Everybody and welcome to the Deadhead Cannabis Show. This is Jim Marty reporting from beautiful, sunny, and warm Los Angeles. And I have my partner up in Chicago, Larry Mishkin, where it's not 72 and sunny. Jim, it's always a pleasure to talk to you with those great introductions. And uh, you're correct. It's in the 20s here, and it's snowing, and it's cold, and it's windy. But it's Chicago in the winter, so what do you expect? So we have a special guest today, so I think we'll start right in there. I've got Nick Muir from uh, Whitlawn, uh, a payroll service that works in the cannabis industry. Nick, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you very much for uh, taking a few minutes to, to talk with me today. Well, good, because we have lots of questions. You know, accounting and taxes is always a very challenging field in the cannabis industry. Um, so tell us a little bit about Whitlawn, and it's W-I-T-L-O-N, correct? That, that is correct. W-I-T-L-O-N-I-N-C, WhitlandInc.com. So a little bit about us. We started in the space. I founded or, or this company in 2015 to move into the cannabis industry. Prior to that, I was working in the power industry, doing very similar work for almost 20 years. But over the last five years, we've we've grown and, and have a good foothold now and operating in, in nine states, coast to coast. And soon to be uh, you know, in the in the islands uh, of Hawaii, so we're pretty excited about this uh, the new opportunities in front of us. But we primarily focus on workforce management, the payroll administration aspect for for cannabis industry, both hemp and marijuana customers. So it's been uh, it's been a real treat to to be a part of this and, and be of service to the industry. Uh, we help them uh, you know manage their their payroll processing, their, their workers' comp, their claims, their health benefits, their four hundred one k. You know, we also have uh, fantastic relationships with with our bankers, and so we're able to bring a suite of kind of back office financial services and human resource services into the industry, so our, our clients can focus on what they like to do best: uh, growing, selling, or uh, you know, processing, whatever it may be. You know, we we span you know horizontal throughout the business. So oh, that's great. Now, how do you handle the banking? Because not every place has banking, and in fact, I think Hawaii has very limited banking. They, they do have very limited banking, and fortunately, you know, we have a, a, a great relationship with with one of our uh, uh, our banks, and and they're looking at they're working in in that region, and so we have an opportunity to bring them a, a, an opportunity of looking at this customer and going through compliance, and and they're willing to do that, and once that happens, and and they're functioning and, and running, uh, I have them up and running, we would be able to take on their, their payroll. I see. So then you can't handle them now if they don't have a checking account? It, uh, that's a little bit of a yes and a no. You know, my preference is that is not how we would prefer to do it because we have to deal with different, you know, IRS forms and, and so forth. And, and that just puts us on under, I think, a different uh, radar and, and scrutiny. But we are we have done it with 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 our bank's approval. And so um, once we have banking approval, you know, we will take, you know, can have cash pickup and things like that occur. 
But our preference is to have our bank, you know, go through compliance, have the uh, have them set up properly with you know, proper banking and, and cash pickup and and those services. So then we can perform our services uh, at a much uh, you know more compliant level. I'd say. Right. Right. Well, you know, I think it was on a, <clears throat> a show or two ago. I um, I'm doing some work with Senator Rand Paul, who is working on promoting the Safe Banking Act. And as you probably know, it passed the House in the fall of 19, and now it's over to the Senate, where um, the big challenge there is to get it out of committee, get Mitch McConnell behind it, and um, they're not really friendly to cannabis. In some respects, on the other, it's a political year, it's an election year, and uh, the Republicans want to hold the Senate. So they're actually considering uh, getting this bill out, getting ahead of the issue to take it away from the Democrats. I think, you know, either what either party can do to help stabilize this industry is is really the focus I kind of strive towards, because the challenges that we have faced, you know, the the you know, the, the possible scrutiny we could be under you know, for what we do. Um, the the inability for for these businesses to you know really operate you know with with normality um, I, I'm I'm looking forward to the day where this industry is, is supported and and people don't have to kind of run their businesses in a little bit of fear but also be able to to run them properly and, and be able to manage uh, you know the all the idiosyncrasies of running a business that you can and, and have a stable bank that wants to work with them I mean I've had many personal or quite a few personal you know things happen with my banking over the years just by being involved in the industry where you know the big banks aren't interested in me personally which is bizarre when I've never uh, put a dollar of cannabis funds into them, but you get yourself on a radar and next thing you know, you know, your, your bank account's gone. Yep. Yes. It happens on every day, unfortunately, to people in this industry, even if they're not what we call uh, touch the plant company or a license holder. Um, they're still, and the banks are under a lot of scrutiny on their back office too. So it's not like they're just being the bad guy. Uh, they got enormous regulatory compliance to deal with. They're going to accept a cannabis checking account. Uh, Nick, you can, expand on that a little bit if you want to well, well absolutely and i i, I can understand I, I do i understand their perspective i mean you know the banks that are in this space are, are taking a big risk because you know it's, it's not federally legal and it's you're, you're there's thing with, with one one swipe of a signature you know everything can change that people work for for 40 years essentially to to get cannabis regulation into into the place it's in today and so you know, I look at it as, you know, I'm very proud of the, the work that all the folks that are around me have done, you know, even yourself too, you know, Jim, I mean, you really put yourself out there to, to help these businesses do it the best we possibly can with the rules that we know today. And I think the banks are the, that are in this space are, are doing the same thing. And, you know, myself as a payroll company, we're, we're really, you know, we're really putting ourselves out there to help the industry, you know, continue moving forward and, and find, you know, normality to to what we're doing and and it's just another industry you know but you know from you know similar to you know alcohol or or uh, you know tobacco or you know nutraceuticals or whatever it could be i mean it is it is a piece of you know an american and probably worldwide landscape that has been you know scrutinized and uh, you know abolished for years and now we get to you know take that opportunity to move this thing forward and 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 you know 
stabilize it and, and have good compliance and good safety and better practices. And, and, and now we have, I believe, safer products on, on the market because, you know, people are following regulations and it's not being done in people's basements and, you know, abandoned houses and wherever, wherever else people were, were kind of working, uh, you know, in this space before. Now, now we're able to, uh, you know, move forward in the light and, and run proper businesses. Very good. Larry, uh, did you have any questions for our guests? Well, I think it's all very fascinating um, what Nick is talking about. Um, certainly, I understand the perspective of the bankers, right? Because out of all of us who deal with the cannabis industry, the bankers are the ones who really do face the biggest potential risk of a money laundering charge. Um, and so predictably, from their perspective, they you know they have to be very, very careful how they do it. I think that the service, Nick, that you guys are providing is wonderful because it really does step in and it helps it helps bridge this gap in saying, hey, look, if you can't get regular banking services, you know, get a minimal amount of services, and we can help you out with the rest. And you know, that, I think that's good. Let me ask you this though: Do you have connections with banks where you can help potential customers get the banking service they need to be able to work with you? That, that is correct. I mean, that, it's it's really part of our model, and we look at it as an added value. But when we look at a customer, we want to analyze what they're doing and how they're doing it and then come in from a say consulting perspective and say okay if we line up you know we'll go through you know what they're doing you making sure they're licensed legal where they are you know follow our, our compliance uh you know uh, dictate that we have and then once we have them into kind of a place we believe that they are they are going to get through the banking protocol um, we will get them introduced to our bankers and give them the packet and then you know they will prove that and then we take the bank you know packet into the customer and then we kind of we're out of the way at that point it's not what you know once once that part happens you know that's between the bank and the client and we're kind of on the sidelines waiting to, to to go in for to make our play and that's once they're banked we uh we get to step back on the field and 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 start you know working on you know getting their back office and their payroll administration set up and their workers comp and make sure people are coded properly and their health care and make sure they understand what that is about and and our savings vehicles and you know and our you know supplemental insurance and things like that where we can be you know we're basically a uh, you know HR payroll in a box type concept of you know taking that that piece of work which every company has to do we take that on and and manage that for the client and then help them you know continuously find you know improvement processes along the way with uh, as as they start scaling. Well, Nick, one of the things I really like about what you're saying, if I'm understanding it correctly, is that, you know I talk to a lot of people who look at the banking issue and say, what can we do to help solve it? Um, a lot of people with a lot of great ideas, but one of the things that always seems to push back just a little bit is how much money do people want to invest in coming up with a program that a year or two for now, perhaps, um, might be moot if the federal government right ever actually does something and changes this. However, what you guys are doing is really offering more than just banking services. You're offering these companies, like you say, you know, kind of like a a full suite of of of, of uh, back office uh, services, so that even if the banking situation does become more normal, there's still value in what you're offering to your customers. Absolutely, I mean payroll is our and payroll administration is what we do, and it's what we do. I think you know probably the best in the industry, running a compliant payroll administration company for the cannabis industry. And but and why I say that is is really focusing on the things that take care of the employees and helping with employee retention and helping with you know just the employees in general banking 
you know, pro, you know, openly as well, because we create a contractual relationship with in our payroll administration. Everything is outsourced to us, and then, uh, you know, and then billable hours back into you know these organizations. So when it comes to employment verification, uh, it comes to workers' comp issues, Department of Labor issues, uh, you know, healthcare you know, concerns or, or issues with, you know, questions, you know, we, instead of, you know, having somebody that isn't trained and a specialist, you know, within the company handling these items, you know, they, ha- they have a company that is a specialist that handles these items for the employees. And so, you know, we're in a way when the phone rings, usually, you know, it's bad news and something, some, something's wrong and we got to fix it. And, but that's okay. that's what we're hired to do is is to make sure we're answering those questions the right way and helping guide the employees and our our client the employer um, you know to to mitigate through things that are happening with with labor and we're dealing with heartbeats and humans and and you have to be able to to communicate to them and it's really uh, it's the human labor in this business is is the most valuable piece and if we can help you know get attrition down which we have. Um, help you know, you know, with retention. Help with you know morale. Um, we we did our jobs well. Are you able to get health insurance for cannabis employees? Are you able to get pension plans like four hundred one ks? Yep. Uh, under our model, you have our benefits package with major medical. We also have, you know, like say our snowboarder plan, which is uh, you know, a little bit of a, you know just a an indemnity type insurance plan for catastrophic. But we have major medical also for everybody. Our employers, you know, can pick and choose if they you know how they want to manage you know our medical uh, program, which is great. We we like to be very nimble in, in how we how we handle this. So they have major medical, which we you know we run a PPO type plan, so we're covered from coast to coast. Um, we do offer also a 401k plan where our, our clients can, you know, match if they're, you know, very established customers. They'll they'll start to incentivize their employees by by matching. But the employees could also start, you know, saving a little bit on their own as well. Um, so both of those items that we have, uh, you know, I think also help with retention. And and the big and the other issue, you know, concern is making sure people are properly work code, uh, coded. You know, something happens to any one of these employees. You know, we are dealing with you know the work comp carrier and getting these folks and helping mitigate these claims and and get these folks back to work safe and sound. And you know, if it's helping to uh, you know design a light duty function or you know to get them back you know off of work comp, you, you know, you have to learn to, to manage these things. And and that's our role to to help our clients with that and be that resource for them. That's excellent. That's, you know, that's a great service you're providing. And, um, you know, one of the big issues with the cannabis injury is not all labor is tax deductible. Um, our experience at Bridge West is that the cultivation and extraction labor generally is deductible as uh, part of cost of goods sold, but your retail ex- um, bud tenders, if you will, generally their salaries are not deductible. So does your program offer any, any help with the 2EDE issue? <laughs> and what's funny is we, we tend to guide our folks towards folks like yourself, Jim, and, and for those types of questions. You know, we know enough to be dangerous, but we know enough to track. So we, we rely on, you know, their CPAs to guide us on, on how we're going to kind of, you know, track those labor hours. But our systems can allow for that, where folks can cost code in and out if they're working. And I totally understand where you're coming from of, you know, uh, the hours and what they are, if they're rolling joints or stocking shells and doing other things that may not be, uh, you know, uh, transactional, uh, non-deductible 
um, hours. We can help, we can assist with our timekeeping system and program and even invoicing to get those things separated out. So it's easier for, for folks like yourself, Jim, and your team to, to take those hours and, and put them in the, the proper non-deductible bucket and have the rest into the, the deductible bucket. That's a good point. Yes, uh, we rely heavily on our, our clients and their payroll systems to give us backup. And it's really not enough just to say, well, you know, I think 75% of our labor should be deductible as a cost of goods sold. In order for that 75% to hold up in the eyes of the IRS in an audit situation, you have to have documentation and show how those hours are spent and show how those tasks were being performed. So, uh, yeah, we take a very hard look at every W-2 that is issued, every 1099 that our clients issue and say, is this a deductible or is it non-deductible? So, um, you know, as we come to the end of this particular segment, uh, I wanted to share a story. I was in Massachusetts last week at the uh, Northeast Cannabis Conference uh, put on by the NCIA, and they had a panel of bankers and merchant processors. And uh, this lady from a small credit union in Massachusetts uh, shared this story. She said, we have 3,500 members in our credit union, and we have a dozen, maybe 20 cannabis businesses and those 20 cannabis business cost us more compliance time and forms than the other 3,500 combined. Uh, I'm not surprised that, you know, the bankers we work with, I mean, they, they may, maybe they, you know, are able to manage, you know, four to five customers, the, you know, in the BSA officers. I mean, it is highly regulated. And even once I believe that the safe banking act, you know, goes through, I still don't see, an end in sight for a high cost of compliance in banking. I, I believe that these banks are still going to be under really tight scrutiny to make sure that these are all legal funds and legal cash and legal sales um, from licensed, you know, legal cannabis businesses, you know, that, that that's coming into uh, into these financial institutions. So I even even with you know the glimmer of hope that it it becomes less risky, I don't believe compliance is going to fade. I think compliance will stay the same until this normalizes, you know, more over the next 10 years and and these businesses are, are more normalized and maybe even owned by larger businesses. Um, and it's going to continue, but I just don't see, a, 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 you know, Chase just opening up the doors and said, hey, come on in, can of businesses, because they still are going to have a major cost of compliance to do it. That's correct. And, you know, there is a major push uh, within the federal government banking system and the banks to get the cash out of the system to be able to allow electronic transactions such as credit cards. So there's a lot of pressure to get the, the cash out. Off the street and back into the system, and I think, and I think that's necessary. I mean, I, in the early days of doing this, you know, and and with approval, you know, I, I went and picked up cash, and and I never really enjoyed it. And, and and you know, when you talk to some of the old backpack folks that were were working in this space, I mean, they're it just wasn't safe, and the time that it was costing them to do that. You know, from labor and expenses and the, the, the systems they all created to, to mitigate and manage to it, uh, you know, you know, the fees that they pay, they end up it end up being cheaper to pay, you know, you know, more expensive compliance fees to be able to get this done properly and safer and safer for their employees which also opened up, you know, the ability to be able to take more pin debit type programs, uh, you know, into these retailers, which is a big, you know, helps getting more cash off the street. Hopefully one day, 
you know, we'll have Visa, MasterCard, Discover, you know, being able to, to, you know, be utilized, you know, and coded properly, you know, have proper coded transactions. And, and that'll be helpful to get more cash off the street. Uh, but until, you know, all the electronic functions that we, we all know and, and use every day are, are readily accessible, you know, we, they, you, you got to be able to you got to be able to handle handle this business both ways. Yeah, one of the things, <clears throat> one of the um, experts in uh, credit card and transa- electronic transaction processing said, you know, there's a lot of people out there offering, you know, credit card or electronic transaction. She said, be very, very cautious. If they say it's a workaround, stop right there and don't do business with them. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I mean, any folks that we've come across, you know, we, we will introduce those folks to the bank. And unless the bank can approve them, uh, uh, which nobody has ever been approved um, to take Visa and MasterCard, um, you know, it's, it's a no-go because all it is is, is it's, it's, I, I don't even know what, it, what to call it, but it's not, it's not the right way of doing it. Right. Larry? It's really fascinating to hear. And what I'm really uh, curious about, I guess, is, how we have a, how it can be rolled out to uh, health areas like Illinois, for instance, uh, that find themselves right now still, you know, desperately in need of this type of a thing. And my concern in thinking about Illinois is I know we're having a real heck of a time trying to get people uh, banking set up here. And so uh, that's why I'd asked my question before about uh, relationships with banking. But I think that, uh, you know, I, I love the idea of how you bring all of this together in one place. And if you know, we would be able to help folks. We have you know partner uh, relationships and banks in uh, in in the, the Midwest as well. So I, I think the thing you know that really happened for us was you know we we were able to establish ourselves and build you know a credible, reliable business. And I mean, there's I tell this story a lot. There was a there was a time where I, I walked into 120 banks to to get approved for being able to do you know cannabis uh, banking for payroll administration where I went in with my plan, sat down with very senior people, and I had a lot of no's. But over the last five years, those no's um, in our, in our, with our experience and building some credibility of it, this organization has started turning into yeses. And, um, and we, we would be, we're able to assist folks really coast to coast with, with this suite of services. Um, it doesn't happen quickly sometimes or as fast as I'd like it to. And so we have a lot a pretty full pipeline of, you know, sometimes of, uh, of clients waiting to get through the process. But once they do, we're able to then, you know, turn on the engines and, and get moving um, on their payroll administration and help them there. But, um, you know, fairly quickly, as soon as soon as we know they're banked, we can get started on our on our on our day job. <laughs> well, you know, well, thank you very much, Nick. Um, you know, the name of this show is the, the Deadhead Cannabis Show. So before we let you go, I've got to ask, you know, what do you like for music? What shows do you like to go to? Oh, man, you know, I, I usually don't. I shoot. I've been seeing what follow. I follow the dead since college. You know, I, my first dead show was probably in '93, and and traveled around with them a little bit that summer. You know, I still go see them in Boulder every year now, and you know, I you know go see fit. Used to see you know being the fish and Dave, and you know just I love festival type shows. They're they're always good, and you know I'm waiting for you know the next one that's gonna kind of be able to grab the reins off of one of these guys that and just keep filling up fields year in and year out and just have a good time and enjoy them. And uh, I'm looking forward to the day when my kids get a little bit older and I can kind of take them and, you know, kind of show them the ropes a little bit. So when they're in college, they they know how to handle themselves. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I started 
taken our sons up to Red Rocks when they were about 13 or 14, and now they're both huge into fish and the Grateful Dead, and our son Jack plays in a, a jam band. I'll plug it a little bit here in Denver called uh, Squerve, and then his other band is the Kings of Prussia, a uh, fish tribute band. Yeah, I'd like to see that sometime. You said they play downtown, don't they? Yeah, they just played uh, Monday night at Sancho's Broken Arrow, had a full house. Oh, very cool. Yeah, that's uh, I, I really enjoy fish. It's, uh, it, it's a good time. <laughs> it is, and we're going to get our shows at Dick's again. Yeah, and I was going to say, speaking of fish, it, uh, I was just mentioning to Jim right before we went on the air, uh, that this past weekend I found myself driving from Chicago out to Ames, Iowa with my youngest son to go take a look at Iowa State University, lovely school. Um, but it's about a five hour drive from Chicago. And if you know, you've never driven through the Western part of Illinois or the state of Iowa, then you don't know what fun is. Um, and so, uh, you know, there's, we're always looking for ways, uh, to pass the time. And for years, there was always a debate in our family over what music we were going to listen to with me being in the dead fish angle and the kids being in whatever Rafi or whatever tapes they were listening to then. But now they've all finally come of age and my son is flipping around on the, uh, on the car radio and lands on the fish channel. Literally as the, as the boys are walking out on stage down at uh, the Mayan Riviera, they just did uh, four nights down there, uh, their version of playing in the sand. And uh, he like he loves it. I love it. And so we sat there for the next three and a half hours listening to a fish show that, uh, I was telling Jim, it's not quite the same as being there, obviously, but boy, oh boy, they were good. You could feel it through the radio, and uh, they were right on top of it. Uh, in fact, um, if you go to jamband.com, uh, uh, they have a couple of clips of the outtakes of, of that show, and they've got a great uh, a great clip, Jim, from the Sunday night show of the, of the boys doing Everything's All Right, and uh, it's, uh, it's great. It's just a great version, and they come out there and uh, it's funny, Trey's making comments about how cool this is, because from the stage, he's looking out over the, the audience and the beach and into the ocean, and it's a pretty cool setup. I know that uh, Bob Hoban is a regular at uh, playing in the sand every year uh, down in Mexico, and I've been meaning to get down there one of these years for Fish or Betting Company or both of them just to, to check it out. Well, maybe next year, Larry, and then you and I can... Uh... You and I can do the uh, Deadhead Cannabis show from uh, with our feet in the sand. You can be one of the guests, Nick. You're in. <laughs> so, uh, yep, I'm here on Hollywood Boulevard and Sunset Boulevard. So there's always, whenever in this part of Los Angeles, I always have Doors songs going through my head. You know, first time I went to L.A., I went to the Whiskey Go-Go just to check it out, just because of the Doors. Does it go co cops and cars, the topless bars? <laughs> Right, he knew what he was talking about. So, well, thank you very much, Nick. I appreciate your time. And, uh, Larry, we can uh, talk a little bit more. I have uh, some uh, updates on uh, what's going on in hemp. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, let, hey, yeah, let me know. Let me know. Uh, yeah, let's uh, yeah, have another – hopefully we have another great hemp year in front of us. Uh, that's the other thing we do is, uh, you know, put money into to these hemp fields. And, uh, you know, we have you know, usually a few, up to about a few hundred acres now. And it's uh, – I'm looking forward to see this market really – you know, the FDA and the USDA kind of let us know what we can do and, and, you know, we can get this industry really, uh, really booming. Well, and uh, just sort of a, a quick note in closing, uh, Nick, let's talk offline because a, a very large regional bank has opened its doors to the hemp industry in Denver. Awesome. Perfect. Let's see what we can do to help some people. Good. All right. Well, thanks again for being on the show. Nick, thank you so much for your time. Hey, thank you very much, Jim. Thank you, Larry. And I uh, really appreciate it. And uh, hey, safe travels, everybody.
Yeah, what's going on in hemp is uh, lots, lots of things going on on hemp. Um, out here in California, listening in on some very scientific conversations on isolating CBD and CBG and all the various different compounds and then, you know, things that can be done with extracted THC to, you know, make it compliant with hemp rules. So very interesting things. You know, one of my predictions is I really believe that the hemp world is going to be way bigger than uh, marijuana that gets you high. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that, Jim. And in fact, um, uh, that's something that uh, Bob Hoban has been preaching for the last couple of years as well. And uh, I have to confess, as a guy who's you know been pretty much more on the THC side, uh, I was a little surprised when he said that. But now, you know, with a couple of years of experience in hemp behind me, I absolutely see where he's coming from. I agree with him. I agree with you, right? Uh, the best part about marijuana is it gets you high, which is good if you like to get high. We know that there's a large, if they say that 55 or 60% of the people in the country now support it, and even if they all get high, that still leaves us with almost 50% that doesn't. Um, and so marijuana, I think, naturally has a ceiling to it. Uh, hemp, on the other hand, given the multitude of commercial uses that can be made out of the plant, separate and apart even from the CBD angle, uh, it, it's limitless. And, uh, you know, we've been talking about how some of the... Uh, uh, automakers are, are now going to start testing uh, side door panels and, and side car panels made with plastic that's derived from industrial hemp. Boy, you know, you, if you have GM announce that we're going to, you know, from now on, all of our side panels are going to be made out of plastic from industrial hemp. You have a lot of people out there growing hemp all of a sudden hoping to land contracts with GM. Uh, but they're not going to be the only company. that It's, it's going to spread around. And, and, and I do believe that uh, we will see in a relatively short period of time that, that hemp will become the uh, the primary crop in the United States, at least uh, you know in the cannabis world. Yes, and I'll brag about Colorado for a minute. In that uh, Colorado just has an excellent, excellent climate for growing hemp. Uh, you know, we get about 13 inches of rain a year, and it's a very low water plant uh, to grow outdoors. And uh, at our altitude and our weather. Um, I really see Colorado as becoming uh, an, an epicenter of, of the hemp industry. Uh, we have tons and tons of biomass that's heading out to be extracted. And because of, and again, I'm not a lawyer, I'm an accountant. And so maybe Larry will have an opinion on this, but the, um, they can get the, to what they call tea free, which means no THC. And that is being shipped out of Colorado all over the world legally. Hey, you know, look, if it qualifies as industrial hemp, you can send it anywhere, right? I mean, that's the theory. We drop below that 0.3. Well, the way I say it, Jim, is you can send it anywhere in the United States except Idaho. Stay the heck out of Idaho with your with your hemp and your CBD. Uh, they haven't quite gotten the message there yet. But otherwise, yeah, it's an amazing thing. And, you know, so when people are in my office and sitting here, you know, stressing over whether to, to cash in big money and try to go for a marijuana license, my response to them is, go to hemp. It's legal. There's less barriers to entry, and you know you can you can start doing it tomorrow. You don't have to go and qualify and all this other stuff like you have to do with marijuana. And uh, it, it's got tremendous benefit and upside. And and some of the projects that we see going on with hemp now are outstanding. There's uh, groups here in Illinois that want to start using hemp specifically uh, to be grown in brownfields because the the idea is is that the hemp actually cleans the soil while it's growing, and. Uh, there's groups that want to try that. So, I mean, really, the the, the, the possibilities are, 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 are limitless, and uh, it's a very, very exciting time. 
it is a very exciting time not to just see one industry, the marijuana, legal marijuana industry born, but to see hemp come in right on its heels. Uh, when I was in Boston last week, um, I went to an ascend, uh, a panel discussion on what's happening politically. And there's going to be a lot of ballot initiatives, a lot of legislative initiatives in 2020, including uh, Mississippi and Alabama are looking at having a vote on medical marijuana. So even the Deep South now is getting on board with medical marijuana. Right. I, I think that's true. Uh, I think there's still a lot of focus on the Senate um, and on Mitch McConnell and hopefully getting them to look into the, the Safe Banking Act. But I, I absolutely agree uh, with what you're saying as well, Jim, that it, it states that we would traditionally think of as being a little bit more conservative and less inclined uh, to welcome the cannabis industry are starting, in fact, to welcome the cannabis industry. Yes. Well, when you're in Massachusetts, uh, they're getting a lot, a lot of business from all the surrounding states. And Rhode Island, Connecticut, uh, New, you know, all the states that border Massachusetts, uh, Vermont, New Hampshire, um, a lot of cross-border traffic. And those states are sitting there, hey, we're losing all this revenue to Massachusetts. Um, there's a, it's going to be very difficult, but one of the initiatives is to try to get uh, like Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut and Rhode Island to all uh, pass adult use at the same time with consistent regulations. Have you heard anything in that regard, Larry? I have not, but that would be very interesting, and I would I would be very curious to see how something like that happens because you know what 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 it's going to lead to, Jim. And, and in fact, I just had clients in my office today. Uh, you know, who, again, really wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about, uh, you know, the ability or really the lack thereof. We were sitting here saying you can ship hemp anywhere. You can't ship marijuana anywhere. Right. You can't cross a state line. You can't do anything. And, and the, the popular story that everybody likes to tell is even if you're going from California to Oregon or from Oregon to Washington, it doesn't matter that they're all adult use legal. You can't take it across state lines. But if we're talking about a number of states coming online at the same time and really trying to coordinate their programs with one another, it would be outstanding to see uh, that, you know, that as part of that, you could have some cross-border cooperation and, uh, and, and really the ability, you know, to, for a company based in one state to be able to work in another state without having to go and literally set up shop in that state as well. Yes. Well, the consensus was that, that it would be very difficult to get five or six state legislatures to all agree with each other. So it might just be a uh, no pun intended. It might just be a pipe dream. <laughs> no pun taken, but I think you're absolutely right. But on the other hand, look, we, we've reached a point in this industry now where we can dream, right? Five years ago, if somebody had said we'd have adult use in all of these states, we would have said that was a pipe dream. So, um, you know, it's really amazing to see where we are and how far we've come and, you know, and how much more there is to go, which I think for all of us is what really makes it so exciting. We, you know, we realize we've barely scratched the surface in terms of where this industry can be and, 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 you know, how much more growth it still has in it. Yes, absolutely. It really is a, a big old wave that we're riding. And uh, we're coming to the end of our time slot, so I'll just tease for next time that um, I'd like to talk more about uh, the social equity programs in the various states. Illinois has a big social equity program. Massachusetts, for adult use, not medical, but for adult use, has a social equity program. And so now having a cannabis felony goes from being a liability to an asset. So that's a very interesting story that I'll share next time. Yeah, yeah. I'm laughing because we've already told that story. Hey, my, you've always been embarrassed the whole life because I have a marijuana conviction. Guess what? 
It's my golden ticket. Well, in, just briefly in Massachusetts, you get extra points on your um, application, not just at the state level, but the uh, local level too. So I'll talk more about that on our next show. Um, Larry, did you have anything else for this episode? Well, I think this is it, Jim, other than I just hope the next time we talk, I'm in the warm place. All right. Very good. All right. Well, this is Jim Marty from beautiful Los Angeles uh, saying over and out. And this is Larry Michigan from cold and chilly Chicago saying the same thing. And thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name's Kate, and I'm your host of the Pop Moms Podcast. I started the Pop Moms Podcast, well, because I wanted to end the stigma against using cannabis, specifically with moms, but also anyone who chooses to consume. I strive for a balance of humor and education, along with some pretty rad guests, to help combat social biases that come with consuming cannabis. Kids are hard. Join me for regular podcast episodes packed with parenting hacks, real-life stories, and of course, my favorite cannabis products. The days are long, but the years are short. So roll another J and take a deep breath. Keep blazing and stay amazing.